Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Hub24. Hub24 make a difference in the lives of advisors by connecting you to innovative solutions that create opportunities with market-leading managed portfolios and customer service excellence. Want to know more? Visit hub24.com.au. G'day, how's it going? What do you know? Strike like Clayton here from XY, chatting with a friend of XY, Dr. Adam Fraser. Mate, thank you for joining us. Clayton, it's a pleasure as always. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the last time we got to catch up in this digital environment, uh, it was the work from home tour. Um, and you were, you were talking about that headspace, um, you know, and how to sort of handle working from home and have you done, I'd imagine that was entirely your work for the last six months. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, I mean, advisors have gone through so much change over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, my business has gone over a dramatic amount of change in the last six to eight months. And uh, we've had to reinvent the business quite a bit. So, yeah, I haven't been on stage since February when I normally do 120 to 140 keynotes a year. So, whoa, yeah. So I've, um, I'm just attached to my screen. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a difference between where my chair ends and where my butt starts. <laughs> yeah, so, um, it's been quite actually just thinking of that time. That was one of the first virtual events I ever did. So, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty dynamic at the time. We sort of pulled it together relatively quickly and, uh, but mate, it was super valuable. And, uh, I guess one of the interesting things and the lens that you come at, um, is you have a, a multi, um, sort of a multi industry view of, of mental health. You have a multi industry view of stress and, and, uh, and, you know, it's kind of interesting that you sort of, you understand financial advice also because you, you, you're connected to it. And what's really cool is you've been commissioned to do something that we're really stoked to be able to support. Yeah. And that is research, like high quality research into mental health for uh, financial advisors in Australia. And uh, yeah, t- talk to us about sort of how you're going to go about it, what we're expecting to get out of this and how we, well, what advisors can expect to be a positive result at the end? Yeah. I mean, how this came about is I was presenting live. So this was in 2019. So I presented at a, a dealer group conference and in my presentation, I talked about some of the work we'd been doing with school principals around mental health and well-being, as well as partners in professional services firms. So we'd been working with specific groups around, well, groups that are going through a lot of change and how do they support themselves through that. And, you know, great time, great conference, but I, I literally got bailed up at the drinks afterwards by about six guys who said, you've got to do this stuff for us. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, like, one of them, I mean, this is pretty full on, but one of them said, like, 
people are dying. Like we've had what at that point they'd said 12 suicides that year. They said, you know, the, the constant change, the constant pressure, the fact that we don't know what's coming next. They said, you really got to help us. And these were, you know, kind of 50 plus males who were, yeah, they were blokey guys and they were hurting and they really said like, we're worried about not only ourselves, but the entire industry. And yeah, it just kind of didn't leave me. And, and at the time we had a lot of projects on, so I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I started to sow a few seeds and I started to look at it and talk to people in the industry, spoke to Deakin university. They said they'd come on board and support the research. And then really the big thing was we had to find someone to fund it. Like, yeah, how, you know, to, to pay for the research. And we started to talk uh, to a few people. I mean, XY was really great at facilitating that and helping us. And we find, finally found someone to like support the research and um, yeah, put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. It's a, and it's a really big deal because this is, let's face it, one of the biggest pressing concerns um, for huge swathes of financial advisors. And the fact that we've got you uh, leading the charge on some research uh, and, and it's getting paid for by large industry participants. Yeah. Like this is, this is a really good place to be. So um, how, how's the research uh, coming about and how, like what, how are we going to digest the results? Okay. So what the research is uh, involves is there's two parts to it. So part A is a survey, like it's about a 15 minute survey that's going to measure various psychological constructs and mental health and, you know, agility and adaptive performance as well as well-being and all those sorts of things. So we want it, literally every financial advisor in the country to fill that out. So yeah. it's a 15 minute survey. They'll get a link. They can fill it out. And because we need the, their voice. Actually, so we, just, just on that, um, yeah. will that data be used in any way, in any how, by any company besides yours to do this research? No. So no one else gets their hands on it. It doesn't go into a database somewhere that's sold somewhere else. This is, no, no. Th these answers yeah. are, are, are very tightly held by you and your team. And then they go away. Yeah. So how it works is it's completely anonymous. So you, you click a link, you'll answer a couple of demographic questions. So it doesn't identify you. Cool. So, um, and one thing we should say is the company that are supporting it is AIA. So we right. spoke to a lot of people in the industry Yep. and um, a few of them went, Oh yeah, I like the idea, but kind of dragged their feet or went, Oh, we're not sure. I met with AIA, I got halfway through the sentence and they literally went, yeah, if it's going to support uh, advisor wellbeing, they said, we'll pay for it for sure. And that, that's fantastic. Yeah. It was the shortest meeting I've ever had. <laughs> so obviously we're going to publish this and uh, you know, the, the findings will be put out there. Even with AIA who are funding the research, they get de-identified data. So they don't get any person's data. Great. Because we're doing it through a university, we are bound by ethics where we cannot, like it's, it's literally illegal for us to identify. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. So, That's super important. Yeah, very much. 
Um, but what we want to do is we want to use the data that we um, that we gather to inform the industry as well as you know the people that make decisions about the industry around what is the impact of those decisions that they make yeah um, as well as strategies like, I mean one of the things we do is we often do this research and then we design interventions to address the challenges so with the findings that we have we will design some sort of program or intervention to address some of the issues that we come across. Wow. So if in the research it's found, you know, that X in 10 advisors are feeling a certain way and, and that has some serious impacts upon the broader industry, um, then intervention needs to be achieved. And so do these kind of results get put, like how do we get it into the hands of the decision makers? Well, I mean, that's a very complex question. It yeah. depends on the decision makers. So if you look at what we did with the school principals, we wrote a report for the education department. So nice. those guys are very similar to advisors in a way where they're, they're running a business because they run a school, but it's effectively a business. Totally. And they have a lot of external parties make decisions about the way they can work um, you know, regulation, yeah, compliance, yeah, all those sorts yeah. of things, reporting, very similar. So we wrote a report that just said to the department, hey, you, you're missing this, this, this. This is a huge issue. Like uh, as an external body with no vested interest or no agenda, it's like here's the stuff we've identified. So we've had people within the department take that on and make changes. So hope like we can't guarantee it, but hopefully this gets fed back to governing bodies and decision makers around this sort of stuff. But look, um, actually, I think this is an important thing to talk about is that the, what we're trying to do is number one, document what is the current state of mental health and wellbeing and work-life balance and resilience of advisors in Australia. So where are we currently sitting? How are they going right now? That's the first thing. The second thing is advisors that have good well-being, mental health, work-life balance. What do they do? Like mm. what are their characteristics? What are the, mm. the attitudes? What are the behaviors? Because while there are advisors who are really struggling, there's others that are crushing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got to understand what they do differently. Wow. Yeah. The third one is also just how do they manage the emotional toll of the job? Because, you know, they're supporting a lot of people as well as, you know, they give a lot. They give to clients, they give to staff, they give to their families. You know, how do they cope with that? Um, the, the fourth one is looking at, okay, because the industry's like requiring them to evolve, the advisors that are evolving and improving and innovating how are they different? How do they approach the job different? You know, what, what are their mindsets, attitudes? You know, where do they spend their time? What sort of approach do they have to the business? So we're not just looking at, you know, the bad news. We're also looking at, well, for an, what's advisor 2.0 look like, you know, yeah. from a psychological perspective. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the four things we're trying to achieve with this research. That's amazing. Uh, because, it is true that, um, you know, as far as I can tell, there are the, there, I mean, you've, you've, you've got the normal distribution, of course, of standard mm. deviations with how people are handling, handling things. Um, yeah. I found that COVID has, has re 
well, even pre-COVID, realistically, it's since I've been in financial planning, it, it, there has, it's almost impossible to find a time where there hasn't been, you know, change and disruption. <laughs> Um, yeah. but, but it's certainly because of that, there's so much agitation, uh, you are getting extremes. You're getting people that are, are struggling in that environment. And then you, you have the people who see all the opportunity and then go really well. And yeah. so I actually had a, a, a podcast earlier this morning with a fantastically, uh, successful financial planner whose business has just exploded hilariously he used to be my client and, and i yeah 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 so when i was a financial planner uh he was my financial planning client and uh and i actually helped him start his uh own financial planning company and yeah, should i should ask for a percentage <laughs> um and, and watching the amount of effort and time and focus that he had put in even before launching was amazing. And, and when I say help him, I mean like I help him get some money together and I gave him a little bit of advice at the start, but he's well exceeded anything I did. Um, but there are people like that, right? Yeah. And then on the flip side, uh, we've had two people that I'm aware of within XY commit suicide over the last 12 months. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So, so this is not like, this is not playing around. Right. So, yeah. like, and, and, and this is real. Like, you know, when we hear those stats, like they're freaking fathers and, and. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, know. interestingly, one, one was male, one was female and very yeah. close to my age as well. And, oh, wow. um, and, and this is just of those that I know about. Right. But you really do have that whole, uh, the whole standard deviation across, across the line. And I know that something like research that would say if we could pull something out and be like actually the the advisors that are doing really well are doing these things really well because yeah. in a lot of ways this podcast which has been on for four or five years at this stage we interview advisors all the time we're trying to get to the bottom of that question yeah. right yeah. so if 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 you can actually sort of articulate that with some rigor oh my god i would love to promote that as much as possible. Yeah. And that brings us to the second part of the study. So the first part is that survey. So we want, as I said, every advisor in every dark corner of Australia <laughs> to fill that out. Like that's what we need. We want big numbers. The second part is we're looking for about 50 advisors to participate in a more in-depth part of the research. And that is involves two things. One is they obviously do the, the survey as well, but they do the um, a diary study. So for seven days in a row, at three points of the day, they're prompted wow. just to answer a couple of little questions about you know, what are they doing, how they feel, what's their energy level like, what's their uh, mental state. Literally takes about two to three minutes. So three times a day for seven days, they fill that out. And then they have an interview with a researcher from Deakin to like decode and understand, you know, what went on during that period. So that second part of the study is where we'll drill much more down into, you know, the habits, the attitudes, the mindsets. And I, I just love what you said then about the podcast. And that's what we're trying to do is put some rigor and, and, and science around, well, what are the factors that really do drive high performance or the ability to cope and adapt yeah. yes. with this? So yeah, that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's amazing work, mate. Um, 
And it's, I mean, I know you've known our chairman, Andrew Rocks, for, for much longer. He was the one that, I think it's, it's the moment that he came on as uh, chairman, he was always like, you got to talk to Adam. you got to talk to Adam. I was like, all right, let's, let's finally. So it's, it's, so it's super cool, mate, that uh, you're leading yeah, yeah. this and, and you're a trusted name uh, in, well, in research as it is. But the, the fact that you're here uh, researching financial planning, I, all I can say is thank God. Like I, I, I've been you know, using this mechanism of the podcast for a long time to sort of put the message out there, almost like an open letter that this needs to get looked at. People need to pay attention to this. Um, and so to have traction in this area, you know, really makes me happy. What were you doing before you ever got into, before you had the DR before yeah. your name, what were you doing? What, what got you here to, to, to the space that you ask these very difficult questions and help pull together, you know, this really valuable research? What was the career trajectory? Yeah. How did you get here? Like, was it, you were just so interested in people as it was, or did you start out in psychology? Like, how did you end up here? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, out of school, I thought, oh, I'll go and do engineering. And I went and did engineering and hated it and I sucked at it. So uh, I did a year of that and then I just went, oh, I can't go back. And I changed courses to biomedical science, which is a blend of psychology and physiology. So, wow. and, and after I did my degree, I went to the AIS and did a stint there, the Institute of Sport, working with Olympic athletes around performance. Uh, and then I came back and did a PhD uh, looking at, well, you know, how do lifestyle factors affect, you know, our well-being as well as our mental health, our happiness? Um, so I did a PhD in that area, and then businesses start, started to ask me to come and present some of the stuff I was doing, and and I kind of fell in love with that. And wow. so I moved into um, doing a lot of presenting. But the big like differentiator that I've always had is that, you know, I've continued to do the research. So a lot of keynote speakers. You know, and, and this is not criticizing, but you know, have an idea or, or, or read a couple of books and put a presentation together and it's entertaining and people get a lot out of it, which is great. Um, but our model has always been, well, can we prove that what we're talking about works? So we've, we've for 20, 20 years, we've done research to study. And as you said, like we're very lucky in that we've got to do it in various industries and organizations. Yeah. And we've had very broad exposure to to different groups. But I mean, I've always had a real soft spot for um, financial ad advisors for yeah. the reason that like one thing I'm really great at is I, I get good mentors and I literally stalk people until they give in. <laughs> and I had, had a really good mentor when I was in my early twenties, when I was still at university, he was a very wealthy businessman. And, and he said, you've got to get a financial like he's one of his things is you need a financial planner. And I'm like, I'm a student. I don't have any money. And it's <laughs> like, this is the perfect time to get one. Wow. So he recommended someone. I went and saw them. Yeah. I've still got them. Like they're my financial planner today. That's amazing. But what this guy set up was habits about money. And, yes. and I grew up in a home that didn't have much money at all. And yeah, yeah. we had a really weird relationship with it. So he kind <laughs> of, he was more my money psychologist and he started to just embed these behaviors. And then, you know, when I met my wife, um, we like as a, as a couple, we started to develop these behaviors. And, you know, he's, he's probably one of the most important relationships I have in my life. And, you know, I go to him 
for all sorts of stuff. Yeah. You know, anything to do with money, he's always involved. He's been really great. So his impact on my life is as great as anyone's. That's and amazing. Yeah. Like seriously. And, and I'm, I'm not sucking up here. No, no, because we actually speak. Yeah. And, and when I say like um, you're connected to financial advice, because when, when we speak, when the microphones aren't live, you, you, yeah. you have like an understanding of financial advice, which I find uh, difficult to pinpoint why. Um, but this is exactly why. So you've just yeah, come yeah. through a, a long-term relationship with a, with a financial planner and the way that you even spoke about it, like as a money psychologist. Yeah. But, I, I mean, um, should we give him a shout out? <laughs> yeah, Michael Bove is his name. There you go, Michael Fam- Bove. Family wealth. Um, oh, he's a bloody champion. He's a great guy. And um, yeah, he's, he's really made a, a significant impact on my life and, and just set us up in a position where we're really safe. Um, we're really secure and, you know, he's just been great. And I've referred, so like one of the things I say to people so often is, uh, you know, like you've got to get an advisor, you need advice. And, you know, I have a, a mate who earns like over 250 grand a year. The guy's got credit card debt. And I'm like, yeah, uh, more common 15 than years imagine. ago, 15 yeah. years ago, I said, make an appointment, go see this guy. And he's no further forward than he was 15 years ago financially. Yeah, that's horrible. And, but d- d- <sighs> disappointingly, that's more common than you'd imagine, which I mean, and I love that. I love that insight that you have. Um, and it explains a lot, explains why Roxy speaks so highly of you as well. What do you see across the industries? And, and, and I'm asking you this because of your dedication to, to continuous research. Now, um, with full knowledge that, you know, you weren't practicing what you're doing 20, 30 years ago, right? Yeah. So, so you're still uh, operating within the time frame that, um, that, you know, you have been. But I'm sure you have somewhat of a historical lens, even if it's via research. But I, something, it's almost a throwaway line that you'll see written in, say, I don't know, journalism. And they'll say something like, uh, it's more difficult now than ever before. For example, it's, it's almost a platitude in nature. It's such, a, it's, it's, it's such an overused concept. But from where you're seated, do you think that work, stress, the, the rise of mental health issues, do you think that's legitimate or are we just, and, and this question is definitely legitimate, or are we just getting softer? Like, have we just lost our ability to, to deal with normal parts of life? Like, is, is what we expect now as our level of satisfaction so high that we've just lost our human innate resilience? Or is it that the expectations are exceptionally hard and, and, and more than there were, than there was, you know, in the past. Oh, mate. Could <laughs> <laughs> you have asked me a bigger question? No, I, that I, is the question. not. <laughs> Man, I have so many things running around my head right now. And this might have been, we might have touched on some of these issues in the, the roadshow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we did. 
I, I, I love what you just asked. Um, oh, look, I'll say a couple of things. Cool. In terms of the resilience piece, our expectations of our life have definitely got higher. And one of the big drivers of that is the happiness movement. So the happiness movement has come along and told us that we should feel happy all the time. We should experience positive emotion all the time. Um, and, and when we don't, there's something wrong. Mm. So I think you're definitely right in our expectation of how our life should feel is higher. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day and yeah, they're an immigrant family and we're talking about depression. And this guy goes, man, my dad didn't have time to be depressed. Like <laughs> the guy was working two jobs, yeah. you know, you know, he's trying to put food on the table. The guy didn't have time to, <laughs> to even <laughs> contemplate, you know, what was going on inside his head. Yeah. So I, in terms of the softness piece, one of the things that we've constantly been studying and we've been doing this for over 10 years now is, is measuring the resilience levels of workers. Ah. So some research is showing is that the resilience levels of children today have dropped because of helicopter and lawnmower parenting, but we've been measuring the resilience levels of people. And I think this is something we're going to find in this study is that the resilience levels of people is actually extremely high. Interesting. Right. So, you know, the fact, just the fact that financial advice has gone through so much change and so much imposed change, and sometimes that change is really unfair and really like yeah. bad for your business. So you just got to suck it up and keep going. Yeah. I think the fact that if you are still in business today, you would have extraordinary levels of resilience. Yeah. So we've seen this in, in all sorts of groups that we've worked with is Groups that have been in the trenches, you know, just the fact that you survive means you're very resilient. So I think we'll find that the resilience levels of financial advisors are going to be some of the highest we've ever seen because they've, they've just taken the hits and they've yeah. been taking them for a long time. Yes. What, here's, my, here's how I think this relates to mental health. I don't think we have a resilience problem. I think we have a recovery problem. Like we have a self-care problem. So we've been doing uh, some, actually I won't mention them because I'm not sure if I can, but we've been doing work with one of the big consult, uh, like um, professional services firms. Yep. Yeah. So think of the big four. And what we showed with those, that group is they, it, they didn't need hardening up. They just never stopped. Like they work all day, all night. They work on the weekend. They just, pushing themselves constantly. They do not know how to turn off and recover and look after themselves. So why I'm thinking you've got an explosion of mental health issues is obviously social media plays a role, particularly for teenagers and children. Yeah. But for adults, you think about the average person is they go to work, they slog it out, yes. they come home, they drink some wine to cope with the day yep. they put on the TV, they pass out in front of the TV and it starts all over again. Like that's the sort of formula. Yes. We, most people aren't nearly active enough. Most people don't get into nature. And I know that sounds a bit lame, but that's no. one of the most important things for our mental health. Totally. Um, they're not connecting enough with people. They feel like they've got too many things on their plate. They can never stop. You know, our 
home lives are busy. We're running all over the place. So I, I think one of the real drivers of, of this explosion of mental health is we just, we don't take care of ourselves anymore. Like yeah. we don't do things that make us, like we don't have passions or hobbies or stuff that really fills up our bucket. I mean, I mean, yeah. you think about the average advisor who's got staff, they're managing people, they're solving problems, they're looking after clients, they're trying to innovate their business, they're dealing with regulation, um, you know, and, and then obviously COVID comes along and the model of interacting with clients is completely different. Like, of course, this is going to put pressure on our mental health. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, does that answer your very yeah. profound question no it's because uh you're, you're you're exactly right um we did discuss it uh, in brief sort of on the side and um i really listened to your presentation last time i mean you gave us the safe framework and then it was you know a minute a day um you know there was those def- those uh, like a minute i think it was at least um a minute a day of breathing Right. And, yeah, yeah. And, and taking the time. And I actually picked up um, after listening to, to your presentation, uh, I've, I've since started working out again. I'd, I'd stopped for like two or three years, but I'm, uh, I'm back. Oh, on you the- were looking buff. <laughs> mate. No, that just, I haven't worked off the fat yet, mate. Um, so yeah, like there, there is the, the, the most, the most basic stuff I think is to look after yourself. And for whatever reason, if it's not in those top handful of things to pay attention to, then it just doesn't get looked at. Right. And it's almost Mm. like I I actually, I I sat down and thought about it once and I put self care at the same level as friendships. And, and so if I think about it, I go one and two is business and family. Yeah. And then number three is friends and myself. Like I, I, I actually don't even make it into those top two yeah. items. And realistically, it's kind of hard to focus on more than two sort of overarching priorities at any given time. And yeah, it's kind of interesting it, uh, that resilience is, is in a healthy position, which I'm really glad to hear. But the expectations of now of, of what um, work is, mm-hmm is so it, it i feel is definitely a lot higher than it than it used to be and 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 you know i have the same expectation for our team like for xy it's not even yeah. that i'm this super you know you know like lovely person that never puts any pressure on anyone no i i, I like our team has a super high expectation to, to meet but on the on the flip side of that um we've we're quite um flexible so like on occasion uh so emily for example she loves to go snowboarding so so hilariously like she'll kind of do like zoom meetings with you know in a in a um, <laughs> snowboarding goggles while she's on the yep. mountain sort of stop yep. and have some conversations and cool 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 yep 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 all right i'm i'm going for the rest of the day you know and yep. and uh, and so we're, we're we've got high expectations but we do have a pretty flexible working arrangement at the same time um but I'm fully aware that what is what's expected now, I think is super high with work. Mm. And, and I think probably what, what is in addition to that is everyone's expectation has gone up substantially. And so like, even, even though how well you get along with your financial planner, you probably just naturally over the last 
decade or however long you've been working with, with, with the gent, your expectation has probably gone up whether you pay attention to it or not, as has everyone. Yeah. And then if you're an advisor and you're struggling with a certain level of expectation because of, you know, work and everything that's going on and then expectations creep up year after year after year after year, because I call it the Google map effect. You, you know, the Google maps is such this amazingly helpful piece of technology that I don't pay anything for. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and just, I, that's now just, that has risen my expectations across the board. You know, like when I joined the gym as a perfect example, they didn't give me an onboarding call, you know, so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know how to do the thing. And I sort of sat there a little bit grumpy and I was like, Oh, they didn't care about me. You know, yeah. there, there was definitely a time where, oh, who am I? Like, why am I expecting this onboarding call? And yet I've been so well looked after because I have super high quality uh, client service, either technologically or, or as a service that now I just expect more. And does that make me high maintenance? Probably. And that's, that's tough, right? Because then there's millions of me that's out there mm. um, because I'm not alone in my increased expectations. And now advisors are having to deal with everyone's increased expectations. And so there's more to worry about. And so while you probably do have higher levels of uh, well, there probably are high, high levels of resilience within financial services, finding time off and finding downtime, I think that's going to be hard to find. Yeah, it is, but it's not impossible. Yeah. And what this is not, I think when we think about well-being, we think that we shouldn't have stress or we shouldn't have expectations. Like you should. One of the most important things for human beings is to evolve and get better. And the only way you evolve and get better is to have more challenge and more expectation put on you. But what you got to balance it out with is letting off some of the steam. So it's about, it is about, you know, the capacity to break as well as accelerate. And definitely society is more demand. I just think everything's so customized. We expect this amazing experience every time. Yeah. And you know, certainly I'm sure advisors will feel with their clients, there's much more expectation there, even that they think they're some sort of magical, they can control markets and returns. And, you know, uh, it, it would definitely be there. But I mean, as we talked about before, there are advisors who have amazing well-being. You know, we've, we've worked in organizations where some executives are literally on death's door burning themselves out and we have others who are performing just as well but are looking after themselves mm-hmm. have great relationships and connection with other people i mean it, it is about finding that balance between those two um all right well um you know with respect to time we could probably wrap up mate it was so good uh for you to come on and uh talk about i'm really excited to see what you've got coming up really excited to support it and uh if if there is someone that is happy to be involved in uh this one in 50 is there an easy way to get in contact with you or or should they get in contact with us or, or what's going on well, what we'll do is with this podcast, we'll include a, a link that they can click on and register their interest to us. Great. Um, so I'll get my team to take care of that and yep. uh, probably an email address, but just kind of go, you know, I'm interested um, as well as, so the research is going to open up around the 10th of November. Yep. Um, so we're using the period before that to recruit people. So after the 10th, we'll start sending out that, 
mass survey and people that are interested in doing the more detailed part will contact them and um, and have a conversation with them about that because also the people that do that second part of the study they'll get insight into you know where they spend their time um, you know yeah. much more detailed insight into their well-being like they'll get a lot of information out of it some of the groups that we have worked with and researched in the past when we say you got to do a diary study they go oh that'll be a pain in the butt but after a while they go man that was amazing because i just learned so much about normally i'm so busy i don't reflect and and that yeah. forced reflection just gave me some insights into the way i work and how i could be more effective so you get a lot out of it as well Mate, but that's I- yeah that's that's the plan Awesome. Well, it sounds sensational. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, look, we definitely have to do this again once the results are out. Yeah, for sure. And just to all the advisors, um, like get on board. Like we need to hear and understand you and what's happening so we can get a really good snapshot of the current state of of advisors in Australia right now. We, we, We need your help on that one. Awesome, mate. All right. Cheers. Pleasure.